Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Matt, you are uh, very welcome to episode four of Scaling Your Business. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, uh, we spoke uh, this time last year, March, February time, when um, people had lost a lot of their jobs and were looking for help. I want to take a different angle this time. You know, last time you came on, you were helping salespeople or individuals uh, stand out to get themselves a job. I'm going from a completely different angle this time. This is more for business owners who are looking at hiring people. Uh, and we'll talk about vision and uh, management as well, not just hiring because you kind of stepped outside of that bit. Um, key focus consulting is not your first business, although you look like a young face. You're a vet at this stage. Um, so probably best handing the microphone to you. Talk me through who you are, 30, 40 seconds. Yeah, sure. So uh, obviously, Matt Sedgwick. So I, I built a graduate recruitment business before Key Focus. Uh, key focus is all about helping our clients reduce their recruitment spend. And, and that's our mission. We want to be able to help companies reduce their spend uh, to do that then. So we look at strategy right the way through to recruitment marketing and how to attract people into your business. And obviously, we look at headhunting high-performing sales professionals as well. So like you said, uh, I'm 31 of 32 in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, but I've done this since literally day one after university, so like 10 going into my 11th year of helping companies grow with sales professionals. Excellent. Excellent. Well, as I said, last time we spoke, um, COVID had just hit, I think, and we were, you were helping share some advice, 10, 15 minutes. Um, this podcast, primarily for business owners, CEOs, MDs who are looking to scale. We, You're familiar with Sandler. We kind of focus on the Leadership for Organizational Excellence program, which is kind of 13 blind spots that can hold an otherwise healthy business back. Today, we want to jump into four of those. The yep. first one being hiring. Um, first question I've got for you is, look, you've had employees in an office. Um, okay. uh, I, I, I've been in one of your offices before. And now you've got employees working remotely. So how do you motivate slash get the best out of your team without coming across as micromanaging them? Can you kind of share some examples? Yeah, definitely. So there's a couple of routes we can go down with this. The first one, which is very a la Sandler um, and, and probably the saving grace of uh, e-communication is the cookbook. Because at the end of the day, if we're installing those right habits, uh, then people are doing what they need to do quite nicely. So motivation actually tends to come quite intrinsically, right? And we all know full well, you know, if you give somebody uh, something that they can work towards, they tend to be a lot more on board with that because they've taken that idea, they've made it their own and they've moved forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cookbook's really been able to, uh, I know you said not micromanage, but the thing about Cookbook is if they build it themselves, they're quite motivated to hit their own targets. Uh, so I'll start very a la Sandler. And then the next one, I guess, is, um, you know, micro incentives and over communication. Um, I, I found that more people are respondent to uh, these micro incentives now. It's very hard to try and get your sales team all pulling in the same way to go to IB for next year because we don't know what's happening. Yeah. However, if we can gamify and then allow people to, 
you know, win small things. And, and a lot of the time, you know, and, and maybe this is why Amazon are doing so well, but it can be something super simple, sending coffee, something from Amazon, so that they feel like they're going in the right direction and they're still every single day feeling like a part of an organization. Um, and, and I think that's really critical, right? For motivation, let them feel like they're still a big part of that. And that ties in nicely, which is, uh, yeah, the over-communication piece. And actually, um, you know, nobody likes these Zoom meetings anymore, right? But every time we do get on them, um, you know, having a, a good agenda, making sure we follow it through uh, and, yeah, very clearly setting out goals, uh, which always kind of uh, dovetails into the main thing, which is the mission of the business and allowing people to understand that mission of the business. And I know it's something that you and I want to talk about today and visions and mission, but I do mm. feel like that more than ever it, it is something that people should be focusing on because people, it's very easy to forget what mode you're in when you only see the same four walls every day. So having a good, uh, good reminder of why we're here is keeping motivation really high. Yeah, it's certainly easy to fall off track, even when you are aware of the, the vision and mission of the company. You know, we shared before this that I uh, took my foot off the pedal for prospecting for the first two days of this week, and it, it's already had an impact. Um, cookbook is something that I use myself as well, so I'll share an editable template people can use to build their own cookbook. Matt, in your own words, cookbook, for those in Sandler, they're aware of what it is. What is it to someone who's not experienced Sandler? Yeah, I mean, I've, I think the, the name of it is absolutely amazing, right? Um, there's so many sales operation managers now that are looking at what's this secret source of se selling. Um, and it always boils down to the same things, right? Which is, it's the habits of that person that's doing the job more than, you know, this kind of magician style excellence that somebody has in their communicational style, for example. Uh, so cookbook, the name's excellent because the way that I think of it is if I'm going to bake a cake, what do I need to go into that cake? What's the process in that cake? That cake's going to come out nine times out of 10 exactly the same manner. So for your salespeople, what do they need to put into their pipeline? How can they manage their pipeline? And let's stop focusing on when those deals are going to drop and focusing more on filling the pipeline and doing the, the habits, the behaviors that's required to get to where you want to go. That's how I'd explain cookbook. What if I missed, Ryan? No, you've said it well. Uh, what I'd add is uh, you can work out the maths of exactly how many, you know, touch points, whether it's email messages, uh, calls that you need to make to hit your target. And yeah. that's essentially what it is in a nutshell, you know. Once you understand for every 100 email messages I send, I get 15 responses on average, and out of that I get four book meetings, and out of that I get one new client. Well, then every single day if I need to get – Excellent, you clients. I know how many email messages I need to send. Combine that with a multi-channel approach of picking up the phone and other things as well, and you've kind of uh, organically built your own cookbook. Um, of and the, the beauty about this as well, and certainly for the sales leaders and people working in sales effectiveness, get your staff to build these. Get them to come yeah. to you with their cookbook because that's what they feel responsible and accountable for. And then if they fail, they've failed what they've set out. Uh, rather than this top-down method. And, and I think that's the brilliance with cookbook. And, you know, it's one of those things, uh, you know, if you had to, uh, like, really monetize Sandler and the way that's helped me, there's one thing I could give you is this has made me this amount of money quite comfortably. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, talented people. You've got Hugh as part of your team now, uh, and you've really stepped up your marketing. I, you, you've, you, we spoke before, and you've got TikTok. I see you on Facebook now, and that's mad because you're organically coming up my Facebook. Um, and uh, you've obviously got a large network on LinkedIn as well. You've come out with a couple of books. One of them I'll mention on this podcast, and a couple of other PDF eBooks as well. Yeah. Um, they're not easy to come by, and not the books, the talented people. Especially when you're competing against the big giants of the world, you know, Google, HubSpot, LinkedIn. How do you compete with them when you're looking for talented people? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's literally the age-old question, right? And and I think with sales as well, you know, how do we make sure that we're not buying something that's blank inside? You know, how how do we get it right? Um, and 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 I think the critical thing with this and um, you know, a lot of businesses that struggle with this, and you'd be surprised by their sheer size that still struggle with this. Um, but it, it, it is all kind of driven down uh, by strategy and making sure you have the right hiring strategy in place. Um, and, and something that we'd mentioned before as well, remember, strategy isn't just about how we're going to acquire that person, but how are we going to tie in our recruitment processes to the vision of the business? How are we going to tie it into our mission? How are we tying it into our ethics? How are we tying it into our values as a business? And that's probably where the strength lies with those top performing businesses and look we've all seen it even during covid some companies have completely taken off and you're thinking how on earth have they got those staff members yeah. and they're not coming to me but this is you know the, now is the right time if you've not done it to create a waterproof and a watertight strategy from you know, how are we going to get that right person to how are we going to enable them and that is not just looking at getting on trying to headhunt people it is really un understanding your business intrinsically understanding your business getting the vision in place if you haven't written down what your goals are for the year make sure you write them down and keep on bringing them through uh, and then you know digging deep in interviews psychometric testing making sure that you're able to find out you know the exact product that you're buying you should really see it as an investment especially with salespeople as well right you know you yeah. are investing in these talent and finding the very good ones it's not just as simple as you know it's there's more people looking for work right now than there was two years ago so it's not just as simple as so we're going to have some gems you've got to work hard for it yeah for sure you mentioned psychometric testing mm. um there's a number of different tests out there the myers-briggs one um what one do you use and what's the advantage of it? So like for some people I've spoken to before, their hiring process is purely 100% gut feel. Um, psychometric testing is not going off gut feel. Uh, can you kind of give me a breakdown of what that is, whether you want to leverage the DISC example? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I, I, th I think the thing about psychometric tests, and I will answer you, I'm not going to be a politician here and, and, and try and steer clear of giving you a direct answer. But the thing about psychometric tests is the reticence of people using them is still super high. And, and the thing that really frustrates me is when people pay for them and don't use them. So if you decide to use a psychometric provider, please use them, 
pay for them and study them, look into them, go on the training courses, because this yeah. will add huge amounts of values. What you can't do is pay for a psychometric test, go against the grain, and then say that they don't work, because that is just mind blowing how many companies will do that. Uh, to answer your question, really, and move away from my rant of companies. No, we can continue using... down this rabbit hole if you want. I'm in sales training, so I'm, I'm overly familiar Gosh. with people investing and then just... So, so one of the biggest questions I get is, Matt, as a recruiter, do you think psychometric tests are bad because it will reduce the likelihood of you getting more people through the process? And straight away, I'll just say, wait a second, if you think I am driven by making sure I put somebody in your business that will fall out, you have made the wrong assumption about recruiters in in like totally the wrong assumption uh, i know full well you know there are companies out there that will probably try and twist people's arms you know they shouldn't be operating like that psychometric tests need to be used um so yeah completely agree with with what you're saying Rian. They're, they're invaluable in terms of what we use um there's two uh the the disc test i personally think is probably the most prevalent at the moment uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Myers-Briggs and Thompson International and, you know, all of these different companies have a, you know, a, a style of disc and, and it is quite a common language now. Uh, I'm starting to see like nice colours and, and nice animals and obviously the letters and I think people will start to get a better idea of how they're used. But the psychometric test is going to be something that will lift the hood of the car, right? You can have a look at your engine. If you go and buy a car, uh, you're not going to look at the shell and just go, cool, I'm buying it. You know, you probably tie a kick a little bit, uh, but also you're lifting that hard, you're looking underneath, you're working out the mechanics of the car. And that is what these psychometric tests do. This does a really good job of it. And also, you know, if you're prospecting, I know it's a slight aside from hiring, uh, but Rian, you said to me right at the beginning of this call, Matt, I know that you're a D, so I didn't send you too much information because I didn't want to overwhelm you before this. So you knew full well you would be able to get me on the other end of the call because that is my style uh, of working, you know, rather than me trying to reschedule or do on like most, you know, ghosting hiring managers or whoever you're trying to sell to do. Um, the, the other one we use, uh, you, you could probably help me with this one, but is it Outmatch now? Yes, it is yeah. Outmatch now, yeah. Yeah, so um, in a different life was called Divine. Um, and, and that's your competencies and behaviors of your salespeople. I think DISC is great and actually should be used across any role um, and, and arguably in any organization to work out how best to motivate, to work out how best to communicate, to work out you know, how best to leverage the talent of that person, where Divine and Outmatch are, you know, for me, very, very sales-focused incredibly sales focused well we want to look into this person inch wide mile deep we want to look at their sales competencies and that's exactly what this does uh and for me you know there's a huge trend with clients using them and their success in their hiring strategy a quite a like a, a little aside it doesn't mean you're always going to hire your top performers but it does mean you're going to build a team and actually that's probably the critical difference a lot of my clients are saying to me if i can get 10 people that are consistent i prefer that than one absolutely ginormously huge biller and, and person that's making all the money and nine people that are falling short of target so if you want to start creating teams you've got to start using psychometrics Yes, and it does it. The outmatch does a really deep dive. Um, couple things here. So, um, 
two companies that came to mind that are doing a great job since the pandemic hit that have really kind of grown, you know, uh, one company in Dublin called Excelco, they've grown from eight people to 30 salespeople, eight salespeople, 30 salespeople uh, over the last nine months. And then Gong, anyone who hasn't heard of them, they've been under a rock. They've, they've grown dramatically as well. Um, One thing you did mention, you're a high D. We spoke a little bit about disc. Um, if I said to you, I've got a team of 11 salespeople and they're all ISs, yeah. what would you say back to me? I need to get a mixture of all, all ISs work together and everything is beautiful. What's your initial thoughts when I say all my teams made up purely of ISs? So from a personal perspective, I'm panicking. Uh, okay. I'm not getting on too well with an IS. Um, yeah, I think realistically, again, what people don't do with psychometric tests is calibrate it to their business. So what does their market dictate? We're looking at our end user. How do our buyers buy? Right. And an IS is going to have a very specific way of communicating and selling. So actually, you know, if you're in a position where you might need to be supported in a process and maybe the buying decisions are quite easy, you just need to feel incredibly good about yourself. An IS is going to be absolutely spot on and fantastic because they're going to be incredibly inspirational, but then we'll also listen very heavily and support and try and, you know, um, match your needs all of the time. So let's say, uh, you know, if you're in a retail business, for example, or selling uh, in an e-commerce fashion now in today's world, um, but you want people on the phone, manning the phone in a customer service capacity, you're probably ISs are going to do really well. But if you're selling to, um, let's say you're selling fintech, and a lot of my clients are in the fintech space, uh, to brokers, well, historically, brokers have got, you know, a very um, stereotypical style, right? And they're probably going to be incredibly high Ds. So your ISs who need to feel loved and, you know, probably want a more chatty uh, conversation or way of selling probably aren't going to work too well with that audience. So I can't tell you that you need to rebalance the team full of ISs. What I can say is how does your market respond to your salespeople? Because that's then when these psychometric tests are going to work even better because you're looking at the analytics, you're looking at the feedback from your market, and then you're calibrating correctly. So don't worry too much about where you lie on the disc chart, but how does that influence and how is that affected with your market? Gotcha. Last question on the topic of hiring before we move on to onboarding. We've all heard that the cost of a bad hire can be upwards of you know five times the annual salary yep. of said hire. Um, in Sandler, we look at recruitment as kind of a four-step process, recruiting, interviewing, uh, inventorying, and then decision-making. What's the most critical, if you had one piece of advice for someone who's hiring that purely goes off good feel and is a people pleaser, what's the one piece of advice you could give to someone if they're looking to hire this year so that they don't make that costly mistake? Get an external consultant that will not be a people pleaser and look for the best in everyone. I mean, it's it's not a strength at all, is it? But um, hunch-driven decision-making, it happens all the time. Uh, you and I are guilty of this. We'll do it every single day in our life. So, you know, don't, don't sit and feel horrible that you do that. But at the end of the day, you need to recognize the weakness in that hiring strategy. 
uh, one of the critical things behind that is if you are making mistakes over and over again, don't be afraid to onboard an external consultant or go train them. You know, if you are this person that's a complete people pleaser that gets in the process that will take a hunch, you need to realize, like we said, that this is an investment driven proposition. So would you put, let's say 150,000, which I think if you're a 50K base, it's about 150,000 if they leave in the first three months. Um, would you put that on some stocks without knowing about them? And, and that's no. the way that you need to think about it. But that's what people do. I think the drip fed nature of the money coming out of your account, you don't really see it as much. But then when you do start to see these horribly huge figures at the end, you realize how costly it is. So in that situation, uh, get an external consultant. Otherwise, you know, go a couple of steps back and actually before you start to even think about advertising and interviewing, think about, you know, creating a matrix of what you're looking for. Think about what's, you know, the, the personality traits you need to have in this person, what experiences they need to have, what kind of sales training they need to have, and really try and move away from an emotional mindset to a pragmatic mindset. I know it's very emotionally driven and working for good businesses, they're incredibly emotional beings as well. So we totally get that. But pragmatism will always allow you to create the right profile. And then it's a lot easier. You know, if you've got a target to shoot at, you miss it a little bit, that's fine. If there's no target at all, you're going to lose that money. Now you've hired someone and I believe the job is not fully done. In fact, it's probably just getting started after you've hired them. Um, That's the easy part, right? <laughs> onboarding, next stage. Yeah. Um, are you utilizing an onboarding process when you bring on a new hire, let's say, you know, first 30, 60, 90 days? In Sandler, if you buy a franchise, you've kind of got this 90-day process that you follow to get you to your first client. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Again, I know I keep on saying recruitment strategy. Um, in your recruitment strategy, you need to write your onboarding process. That simple. This isn't a you should, you might. This is a you must write the onboarding strategy. Uh, and, and there's a, you know, a loads of evidence out there on why, but a couple of things that I've seen in clients, no onboarding strategy, salesperson comes in, frustrates the other salespeople. Now, I know this sounds crazy, but this salesperson coming in that might think they're a bit of a maverick because they were excellent elsewhere. If they frustrate five other people, your productivity as a business drops incredibly. And that drop in productivity isn't just that one person. There's now six people that are not being productive. So there's one big example that I've seen happen a few times. Uh, another one as well, no onboarding. So as soon as they get in, that they're, they're, they're all the energy, all the excitement, all the enthusiasm, but it's almost like you wound up this car and then you put it in the wrong direction and then they go and do something totally different and then you get to the end of their probation period and go oh by the way well you've not done these things that core metrics in the business because they didn't know and you're wasting loads of time so how can you fairly um you know evaluate them in in that time if they've been wasting their time i guess the other one you don't have an onboarding strategy person comes in they're super excited and within a day they're deflated and why are they deflated? Because it's kind of the, um, the, the age old baggage is they've been sold the dream. They feel like they've gone into something with all the hype, all the expectation, and then straight away, there's nothing there for them. And they feel like they might've made a bad decision. So when you write your strategy, that's your point there to write your onboarding structure. 
Now the 306090 is super simple. And look, let's not start recreating a wheel. We don't need to be spending hours on this. We don't need to be paying thousands of pounds for this. But what we do need to do is work out the metrics that we want to have in place to make sure that this person can be successful. Now the hiring, oddly, I joked about it, but the hiring, you know, you would never hire somebody that you think is going to fail. So the hiring part of it tends to be easier than the onboarding and neonating. And the reason why is because there's no such thing as a bad hire. If you hire that person, you are wholeheartedly on board with that person. But if you don't enable them with your business, whose fault is that? Is that- What if, what if I've made their life really easy by, you know, they've got table tennis tables, they've got access to unlimited beer, they've got pool tables. Surely I've given them I've made so, life so easy and they, and, and they should just work. Yeah, and, and, and this is why onboarding is even more important because mm. everything that you said there, if we look at, and, and let's look at the millennial age because that's what we're a part of, right? Are you mm. Gen Z? Are you a millennial? Mate, I don't even know what I am. There's so many different things. <laughs> if you fit in this bracket, you're this. I don't know what I am. Unicorn. Um, <laughs> so let, I think- I'm not a snowflake. That's what I can tell you. <laughs> the, the reality behind this is people coming through, uh, and let's just talk about mindset for a second, but if they come through with a certain mindset, it's your job to show them and give them the parameters that they can work within. So all of those lovely things that you give us perks, remember, that is a perk. That is a bonus. That's an advantage of working there that is not the reason they should work there and this is probably again where people might fall slightly wrong uh, and, and fall down in process is they sell on all of these benefits and don't actually say wait a second this is a hard job um, and this is why we we need to have these onboarding plans in place because you need to get uh, expectation reality closer together and that's what your onboarding plan does. Expectation of playing ping pong all day long might sound great, happy to be there, have loads of fun with it. Reality, you're only allowed to use it for 15 minutes a day on your break, probably more real, but you know they're not thinking that manner. So even if you make it super easy for them to go away and be distracted, it's even more important to make sure your onboarding plan is on point. And again, like we said, 306090 is a really nice way of doing it. No point in overcomplicating it. You need to look at core metrics. I'm a big fan of KPIs. I'm a big fan of cookbook. I'm a big fan of being able to give a roadmap to success. And that's all we're really doing with our onboarding strategy. And also at the same time, making people feel they're a part of this team. Because as soon as they assimilate with your team, the more productive they're going to be. And when done once, it makes it easier when you bring on the next hire because you've already got that. Uh, so, so simple. So simple. I mean, this is, and you know, this isn't something that is changed at every single point in your process. This should be like a boilerplate, right? You've created yeah. it once, you can print over it over and over again. And what you really should do, and I'm sure people say this is really simple, but evaluate your own onboarding procedure. You know, after the three months probationary meetings, I, I feel like they're a bit of a dine art. You know, it's kind of a, you've passed your probation now. But at that point, don't be afraid. What went well in the onboarding? What did you struggle with? You know, what could we do slightly different and constantly improve that onboarding? You will find, and I talk about productivity that you know a lot at the moment, but if you want an effective sales force, you can speed that up by onboarding them properly. Sitting down last night, wondering where I'm going to take this chat with you today. I know we had the four blind spots we've chosen. Yeah. I kind of decided on my angle for the first two and then i came across a third one and i said wow nobody has chosen this blind spot yet investing in management and i'm surprised 
No one has touched it. So why did you pick this one? Um. So again, I think the investment in management is something that really gets me. And if we weren't talking of sales professionals, and obviously that's my world, sales professionals, I probably wouldn't have chosen that one. But sales effectiveness, sales operations managers, I feel like these people get quite a raw job. And the reason why is everybody looks at them and thinks, wait a second, you know, we're doing the work now, we're making the money, we're fee generating right now, all they do is bark the orders and talk strategy or crunch some numbers. And investing in that management piece is absolutely critical. And I'm going to give you a couple of key reasons why. Yep. The first thing is most people still today will take their top performer and put them in a managerial role. Okay. Now, if that is the case, and that's absolutely fine, and maybe this person embodies the culture, the value, the ethics, the vision, the mission of business completely perfectly, right? But what they disagree, it's not fine at all. It's the <laughs> wrong thing to do to take the best performer and put them as a manager. I totally agree with you, but for the purpose of this example, let me go with it because the next okay. part is if you do not train them as a manager, they will yeah. fail so quickly. And that the reason that they will fail so quickly is they are excellent at sales. And that is a totally different skill set than management. Totally different. And the reason I chose this, Rhea, and I'll give you my other points in a second, is I see that every day with my clients. Every single day. And, and to the point where I had a conversation, a really big private equity business, and they're moving their top performer in an internal sales capacity into a managerial role. And I'm looking at it and thinking, they're a top performer because they're selfish. And that's not bad, but they're yeah. not going to be a good manager. So it's investing in that management. And if that comes from retraining people, uh, and, and I know the standard program allows for that, and it's very effective with that, uh, or if it's for acquiring elsewhere. So the second point is more about the acquisition piece, which is if you acquire, typically people will look at these people and resent them. Why? Because they've not seen them get on the phone making the calls, you know, let's say it's in a, your SDR for a SaaS business who are making 90 cold calls at home when there's nobody around them being told to be motivated. And all of a sudden X, Y, Z, Joe blogs has just come in and told them that they're changing the way that they're selling. Like you have to invest in these people properly. That acquisition is absolutely critical. Um, and, and that is something I personally feel is, is a layer uh, that in org structures that gets missed slightly, maybe because they don't understand the nuance behind sales management uh, and how different it is from selling. Uh, or, or maybe because like we said, they get their best people and they just try and turn them into something that they're not. Well, I've... I've seen time and time again, having lived in this world and spoken to a lot of other Saddler people and outside of Saddler as well, um, they'll get corporate contracts and it's always to train the salespeople, always the AEs, the BDRs, the SDRs, very rarely the, the, the managers. And you're right, it frustrates me when you see the top performer uh, pushed up to that management position. It's really important to take that point there. They invest in the sales team because there is a direct correlation with the revenue generated and the investment. And that's very easy to see. You know, yeah. if you pay a hundred thousand pounds and they turn over a million, you've ten, improved your sales team 10 times. That's incredibly easy. It becomes a much more nuanced driven um, procedure when it becomes sales managers. Why? Because actually sales managers are about enablement and effectiveness. 
So how do you measure effectiveness? Now it is easy because if you've got someone doing 100 and then they do 150 the next year, you can see that. However, there are other things come into play like experience, market conditions and all the rest of it. So I think a lot of people will go, how do we, effective, uh, how do we effectively see an ROI on this? And they look at SDRs, AEs, BDMs, whatever it might be, where they miss the fact that the good managers in the space are the ones that will allow the enablement for the whole team. And that can see, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, 20 times in um, return of investment, but it's a lot harder to drill down on those numbers. You think that ego has a role to play with why there's not as much investment in management. I'll tee this up for you. <laughs> a manager um, is brought into a new company, CRO, sales director, um, and they're told you need to fix this. Um, can they really be seen to say, hey, you know, the solution is not me, it's to bring in this other outside vendor to come in and, and help fix this? It's a great question. Um, see, I, I, bringing in your, your psychometric tests again a little bit here, my initial thought process there was why are they hiring a high ego manager? You know, a high ego manager will probably, and, and, and I'll talk pre-COVID, like wear the nice suits, go around looking flash all the time, drive a really nice car. Great. Their job is not that. Their, their job, and, and if that's how they see inspiration then and motivation, they're probably not the best manager. Yep. Why? Because they need to look at this holistically and they need to see, look, I'm, maybe the manager is incredibly good at, uh, you know, tightening process to make sure that pipeline stays more efficient but maybe they're not as good as motivation a good manager should be asking for advice but high egos unfortunately do exist in sales so to answer your question directly of course like that ego will always get in the way but it's up to the person hiring that person that needs to say hey wait a second what's the critical personality traits that we need for a manager because ego is not going to be a good one I love it. Um, November time, we, I say we, my father and I, uh, we run this Sandler Ireland franchise. We sat down and we said, um, let's put on an executive briefing for managers, for sales managers, frontline managers. Uh, and, and we did and we ran it. And generally the feedback was, holy crap, we needed this. Um, and there's not much out there. When I look at what, uh, so recently I was speaking with Dave Matson, the CEO of Sadler, and he took a step back and he said, you know, you've got all these players, the Barrows, the Miller-Hyman, the Challenger, whatever in the world, and they're all tapping into the individual salespeople, training their salespeople on a corporate level, but there's no one that's made a dent in the management space yeah. at all. And when we ran that event in December and afterwards, I called up a number of them and, you know, talking through, you know, tell me, like, why did you decide to sign up? They and and they just bled all their information to me. Oh, you know, mo struggle to motivate my team and so on and so on and so on. So there's 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 a lack of it out there. So I I, I had a, a large smile on my face last night when I saw that you wanted to touch on investing in management. You had something to say? Uh, it just doesn't surprise me. It, it really <sighs> doesn't surprise me. And I think, look. 
I would love to sit here and say all of this is because I, I know this because I've been absolutely excellent at sales management, but I was that person. I used to be the incredibly uh, effective salesperson that thought they could step into a managerial role. I had to go through the training programs to realize they're so far apart. You know, they're so, so far apart in skill set. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that these people are bleeding information of why they need more strengthening and, and training when it comes to management, because it's an incredibly hard job. And it isn't actually about how good you are at selling. It's a totally different ball game. It's really imp important for people to know that. And maybe your conversation with Dave, why that hasn't been hit yet is because, in my opinion, systemically in sales, they, there's an issue with how people look at progression in the business. And I think it's becoming more common now uh, and certainly in um, you know, the bigger companies to say, hey, it's okay not to want to be a manager. It's okay to go down a purely sales path where you can become, uh, maybe you work individually and you generate this business 5 million pounds. That's okay. But I think historically it used to be you become your sales rep you then become a senior sales rep, you then become a team leader, you then become a junior manager, you then become a manager. And it's incredibly linear in terms of progression. And that means that you are setting these people up who could be excellent for sales to fail in a managerial position because they don't have the right competencies. They're very, very different. There's a guy on LinkedIn, uh, forgive me, I forget his name. He's from Canada. He works at Outreach and he has his hair dyed blue and he speaks yes. at a lot of these virtual summits. He's an SDR and he recognizes that he's really good at selling. He, I've spoken to him before and he's been offered a promotion numerous times, but he won't go into that management role because he knows this is my swing zone. This is where I perform best. I'm a seller at heart and I love that. So I'm, I'm a huge, huge, huge Legion United fan, football fan, right? Huge fan. Um, the analogy that I would always give is our centre forward and our centre back are totally different. They're both football players, but they're so far apart from each other in terms of their talents. So the centre back doesn't try and become the forward and the forward doesn't try and become the centre back. Why? Because they know their uniqueness as people. And because they know that, they feel comfortable with the path that they're on. And that's an excellent example, Ryan. You know, if you are an SDR at the, um, you know, 30 year point in your career, so what? If that's what you're really good at and that's what you're bringing money in and you're getting remunerated well enough and people will recognize that more now, then you should be put into your right position. You know, there's no shame in my opinion to have people doing what they're excellent at rather than trying to then manipulate them into something that they're not very good at. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So like, what's your, what's your goal at the end of the day to bring in money for your family or to have your voice heard on, you know, by as many people as possible? Like, of course. And, and also like, you know, what, what, what do you want from this? Because if it is managerial roots and it's not really for you, let's have that conversation now. Yeah. We can't offer you that as a business because we don't think set is right. Maybe we're happy to train you for it, but this is what it's going to require to get to where you want to go. And actually, really quite bluntly, this is what you need to change about yourself if that's what you want. And that's where really good sales managers come into play. That's where sales effectiveness comes into play. And this is all very people management in that in that world. Um, but 
you know, I, I think the the worst thing that people can do is go, hey, look, he's brilliant at selling. He's excellent at managing them. I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm not either. Um, sharing your vision is the last thing I want to touch on. You know, you've given a lot of your time today, so thank you for that. Taking a company to that level of what we call excellence requires one to, you know, articulate where their company is going and or what it's becoming. So what's your big picture vision for Key Focus Consulting? So big picture vision, for us, we are focused wholeheartedly on helping our clients to reduce their recruitment spends. Uh, this is, you know, installing strategies, installing uh, talent attraction, which is marketing uh, and headhunting for people. Our vision realistically is to be able to get ourselves into a position where our clients understand recruitment so well that they don't need to go out and use multiple recruiters for it, that they don't need to go out and try uh, the trial and error approach to hiring. Uh, and that's really, really very critical. Uh, we, we put a number on it, you know, we want to help 5,000 firms within the next five years. So that's 1,000 a year, which is ambitious during COVID, um, to really understand how they can reduce their recruitment spend. That's obviously going to see growth on our side as well. Of course it is. Um, but yeah, that's our that's our vision. That's where we want to get to. Nice. The word vision uh, always reminds me of vision boards. And when I think of vision boards, I think of the one that was on your uh, office desk in WeWork. Um, you're one of the few that I that have been fortunate enough to see their vision board. I always get nosy when I look at people's vision board, going, "Why is there a Bugatti on that? Can you tell me the story behind that or whatever?" Why do you do vision boards? Uh, so I'm literally looking at my vision board. <laughs> <laughs> I would happily turn the camera. I just don't know how messy that would get. Uh, but I'll send you a picture at the end of it. I think you probably already mm. got it anyway. Um, look, for me, I mean, the, the data behind it's ridiculous to start with, right? Like, let's look at the data here, which, you know, was it Harvard Business Review that did the study that said the people coming out of college with a goal was like what like something percent more likely the ones that had written it down was even higher chance of becoming what they wanted to be and then like the top three percent that actually visualized them like out of that pool like wasn't it like 95 percent that were millionaires or something really crazy like that obviously not verbatim please don't start getting frustrated that i have not given you the exact numbers the key thing is about this is there is a direct correlation between visualizing your goals and being successful yeah and for me my clients who do this incredibly well in terms of hiring, managing, selling, they all have a commonality. And that is every single staff member, and it doesn't matter if they are the office manager, the CEO, they all understand the vision, the mission, the goals, the plan and the action. So why I do it personally is because if I put myself in a position where every single day I can see my destination, then I've got more chance of reaching that destination. And I, I always say, uh, you know, I, I always get people firstly, uh, the, the naysayers, right? Like, oh, you don't do that because if you set a goal and then COVID hits, you're not going to hit. Like, nobody <sighs> can control the uncontrollables, right? Yes. But this gives me the ability to look at what I want to control and I start controlling it. And the example I give those naysayers is when you get into the car and you're going to somewhere you do not know, 
what do you do? What's the first thing that you do, Rim? You're going somewhere you don't know. What's the first thing you do? I'm you're in your car. So you're not driving. You're in your car. You're sitting in your car. You're going somewhere you don't know. What's the first thing you do? Oh, Google Maps. Google exactly. Maps. Exactly. You put on the sat-nav, your Google Maps, whatever you use, to tell you how to get to your destination. Yeah. And that is exactly the same as a business having visions, missions, goal. You know, all of these things will tell your staff how to get to that destination. So you do that unconsciously every single time you get into a car and you get to your destination hand on heart, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, unless anything bad happens, right? So yeah. if you don't go in with the plan, if you don't go in with your vision, you don't go in with your goals, how are you going to move to where you want to get to? That simple. Or you may you think sound so good. You may think sound so good, Matt. Um, <laughs> mind blown. Like I just feel like this is one of those it's things. Simple. I'm, yeah, it's so simple. So yeah. simple. Keep things simple. Um, so that's what we were talking about around before we got on the call, and I'm going to wrap things up here. But um, you know, I, I was frustrated that uh, I wasn't prospecting on Monday and Tuesday. But the art of prospecting is really simple. You just got to follow your cookbook. And yep. if you do, then the results will uh, come out. Anyway, look, as we wrap things up, you are an author of a book. I am. Yes. <laughs> if I you bought... knew me before I got into the corporate world, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you said that I would have brought a book out, uh, I think most people would have laughed. But yeah, I am now. Well, congrats. I bought 10 Thank copies you. of it. Um, Thank you. I don't know when it's going to arrive. I've been told it will arrive on the 25th. However, DPS are now not operating in Ireland at the moment. So who knows when it will arrive. When it does arrive, I want to give away, I bought 11, one for myself. I want to give away the 10 copies to people who are, it will provide genuine value to who are looking for a, for a job. So if you're listening to this and you want a copy, just email me. My email is going to be in the link below. And tell me why you want a copy of the what's it the job search bible? What the let's roll job search bible? There we go. Ex excellent. A recruiter's complete guide to getting the damn job. Um, so if you want a copy of, I've got ten to give away. Just give me a genuine reason why you will, and I'm and I'm just going to give it away to the first ten people that I feel will get value from it. Matt, you want to give thirty seconds of what people could expect if they get a copy of the book? Yeah, of course. Uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, look. Really simply, your go-to-market strategy in today's world for getting a job is probably more important than ever before. All this book is, it's, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, it's light-hearted, we've tried to make it very fun, but it is allowing you to build all of your assets so your go-to-market is going to be even stronger than it would have been before. We'll leave it there. If anybody wants a copy, email me the email below. And I will send you one of the 10. And then you just got to tell Matt how you got along and give him a five-star review on Amazon. Or on Alice, it could be a three-star oh. review if it's shit. Yeah, I was going to say, if you don't <laughs> like it, just tell us. Because how are we yeah. going to help, boys? For sure, for sure. I, I There was a guy I, I'm friends with, and someone he got a couple of five-star reviews, and someone gave him a three-star. And he wasn't going to give up till he moved them from a three to a five because he felt it was unfair. And I was like, that's the whole idea of why there's options other than five-stars. Like, why don't you ask what they didn't like rather than try to force them to change to a five? So there's two things, and I'll leave you with this part in uh, thought. The first thing is I get really scared if I only see five-star reviews. 
because yeah. I people definitely pay their mates to do it right however we only have five star reviews so now i'm starting to think like people are gonna I'll give get you a three i'll give yeah, you please do yeah. throw one in there uh and then the yeah you know what's the point in doing a review if you just can't be honest if you want to put it as anonymous and tell me how rubbish it is that's absolutely fine that's how we grow right we take the feedback we use it we make things better won't hurt your feelings though i don't have feelings <laughs> well we'll end it there matt perfect cheers Ryan. thanks for your time right. mate have a good cheers mate thank you very much